Good morning, friends. My name is Scott Gilliland. I'm one of the associate pastors here in Th- at Lover's Lane, where our mission statement is loving all people into relationship with Jesus Christ. And I also get to serve as a co-pastor of this worship community that we call Thrive, alongside Reagan Gilliland, who's also an associate pastor here and also happens to be my wife. Let me know that you're with us. I see that uh, Cheryl and Rick and Gail are worshiping with us this morning. Uh, be sure to, to type a comment in our chat threads, whether you're watching online on our Facebook stream or on our YouTube stream this morning. Um, Let us know that you're here. Let us know how we can be praying for you. We've got pastors in our chat as well that are ready to be in worship with you uh, this morning. Rick, thank you for lifting me up in prayer this morning. I appreciate that. We are continuing in a sermon series called Bones this morning. We had planned a sermon series that was going to coincide with our vacation Bible school, and little did we know when we decided to look at stories from the Old Testament that featured prominently bones or the symbolism of bones, um, little did we know that these stories would be so helpful for us in this time that we find ourselves in, in the midst of a challenging national discussion around race, systemic racism, and, and how we move forward as a country understanding precisely where we are. And so um, I hope that you are like me and that you have been not only praying for our nation, but you've also been intentionally listening and hoping to seek personal growth in this time as well. Um, I have found this scripture today to be extraordinarily helpful as I consider what our path forward as a country could be. Um, and, And not just that, but even More than that, in my own life, in all of our lives, when we find ourselves in places where we're wondering how we move forward, when we know that um, things are not as they could or should be, what is it that God desires for our lives? What is it that God is calling us to acknowledge and to do to take those necessary steps forward? And so to help us in this journey, we're looking at the story of Ezekiel this morning. It comes to us in Ezekiel chapter 37, beginning in verse 1. If you have a Bible with you or a Bible app that doesn't take you away from the stream, I encourage you to open it up to Ezekiel chapter 37. And I'll say more about who Ezekiel was, but for now it's important for us to know that he was an Old Testament prophet, uh, one who was called to speak up to the people of Israel in, in his time while they were in exile in Babylon. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. Sarah, Mary, it's good to see you this morning. I'm glad you're here. Let's read the scripture together. Ezekiel says, The Lord's power overcame me. And while I was in the Lord's spirit, he led me out and set me down in the middle of a certain valley. It was full of bones. He led me through them all around. And I saw that there were a great many of them on the valley floor. And they were very dry. He asked me, human one, can these bones live again? And I said, Lord God, only you know. And he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the Lord's word. The Lord God proclaims to these bones, I am about to put breath in you and you will live again. I will put sinews on you, place flesh on you and cover you with skin. When I put breath in you and you come to life, you will know that I am the Lord. I prophesied just as I was commanded, Ezekiel says. There was a great noise as I was prophesying. Then a great quaking. And then the bones came together bone by bone. When I looked, suddenly there were sinews on them. 
the flesh appeared, and then they were covered over with skin. But there was still no breath in them. He said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, human one. Say to the breath, the Lord God proclaims, come from the four winds, breath. Breathe into these dead bodies and let them live. I prophesied just as God commanded me. When the breath entered them, they came to life and stood on their feet, an extraordinarily large company. The word of God for the people of God, let us say, thanks be to God. So to understand this vision, let's back up and understand Ezekiel's story to this point. Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel opens with us understanding that, that he is part of the exiled group of Jerusalem. What happened was the kingdom of Babylon attacked and conquered Jerusalem, but left the city standing, allowed it to continue, but took with them back to Babylon a large group of people who were the best, the brightest, the most culturally significant for the people of Israel. And Ezekiel, being a priest in training in the temple, was among those who were taken into exile. And so he's sitting by the banks of an irrigation stream in what we can imagine as a refugee camp, and it's his 30th birthday, which was a significant one, not just because it sounds important, but because in the priestly tradition, this was the day he would have been commissioned as a priest in the holy temple. So it's a day not of celebration for him, but a day of mourning as he sits in exile in a refugee camp in a foreign land that is not his own, that don't worship the God that he worships, and he can't be commissioned a priest. And it's in this moment, in Ezekiel 1, when God appears, as Old Testament God frequently does, with smoke and with fire, and there are these four creatures, each of them with four different faces, and they're pulling this, uh, what appears to be like a chariot with four wheels, and on top of it is this massive throne, and there sits God, and God is shrouded in this holy glory and mystery, and Ezekiel hears God say to, to him, I am commissioning you not to be a priest, but to be a prophet, now, a prophet has a specific role for the people of Israel. It's really twofold in Ezekiel's case. First, God says, I need you to proclaim my judgment, and, and not in the sense of uh, pointing the finger and, and condemning Israel, but really the judgment of uh, revealing the sin that is real. I'm going to ask you to proclaim my judgment over Israel to help them understand that, that Babylon is not conquering them because they simply have the bigger army. Jerusalem is not falling simply because Babylon has chosen to invade. The country, the nation of Israel is collapsing because there is deep-rooted sin that you have been unwilling to address. It goes beyond simple immorality of interpersonal relationships. God addresses that, but it goes even further, and God says, you have not taken care of the orphan or the fatherless or the widow You've not taken care of the foreigner. You've treated them like second-class citizens. You have kept the poor and the oppressed and the downtrodden on the margins and the outskirts of society. These are the reasons you're facing this judgment. You brought yourselves to this place. Most of the book of Ezekiel is on the judgment portion, right? The for the first 30 chapters, Ezekiel is making clear what God is saying, not just to Israel, but also to the surrounding nations that Babylon is conquering as well. And so then in the 30th chapter, we see a turn, and the second part of the prophet's job begins. Because prophets don't just bring uh, judgment. They don't just reveal the state of our sin. They also offer hope. 
We have a faith that doesn't leave us simply confessing our sin, but repenting and moving towards something holier and healthier and better for ourselves and for God's kingdom. And so it's during those later chapters, and 37 is one of them, when Ezekiel begins to paint a picture of what this preferred future with God could look like. So he's speaking to a people in Israel that have this burning question within them. How do we get back? How do we get back? Have you heard that question in yourself or in others in recent days or weeks or years? How do we get back to that former glory? The people of Israel remembered King David and the glory of his kingdom. How do we get back to that? You know, we're in exile. The temple has fallen. Ezekiel even says God's spirit has left the temple and come with us into exile. Who are we with God? How does God see us? What's God's preferred future for us? How do we get back? And what Ezekiel is trying to make clear for those first 30 chapters is that maybe getting back to what we once knew is not the goal that we think it is. Maybe getting back to what we once knew is ignoring the sins that got us here in the first place. Maybe we ignored these sins and that's exactly why we got to the place that we're at. And so maybe getting back to that place shouldn't be our question. My friends, I say all that to say this. We cannot move forward into the kingdom of God while we yearn to go back to the way things were. This is the same question that Jesus is going to get from the people of Israel when he arrives. They think he's going to be the next King David too. But we've never been called to go back. When the Israelites were in the wilderness, they wanted to go back to Egypt. When they're in exile, they want to go back to King David. But Ezekiel knows there's something better that God has in store if we're willing to do the work. As a kid growing up in America, I was taught about some of America's failures. The slave trade, Native American genocide, Japanese internment camps, to name a few. But I also wasn't taught the full story. I was Lincoln as the great emancipator, which he was. But I wasn't taught that he also created the office of emigration, meaning how you leave the country, because he believed that freed black Americans could never peacefully coexist with white Americans. I was taught about 40 acres and a mule, But I wasn't taught that very few freed black men actually got those mules, and many were forced to return their 40 acres to the Confederate officers pardoned by President Andrew Johnson. I was taught about the KKK's rise during Reconstruction during the early 1900s, but I wasn't taught about the Tulsa Massacre, when in 1921, less than 100 years ago, a white mob not only killed around 300 black men and women, but also bombed and decimated 35 square blocks of the wealthiest black district in America at that time, known then as Black Wall Street. I could go on, but the point is this. Ezekiel knew something that our black brothers and sisters today are crying out once again. The way things were was more full of sin than we might care to admit. The way things were a month ago created an environment where George Floyd could be murdered on camera. The way things were is not the goal. We have to be willing to focus and confront the sins that have led us to this place. White Americans, hear me clearly, church, white Americans have to be willing to hear the full story of our history 
and own the fact that just as Israel was not a perfect kingdom, America too is imperfect and we must uproot our sin if we are going to move forward. So let's talk about what moving forward looks like. Ezekiel's given this wild vision by God of this valley full of dry bones. Let's talk about the dry bones. The scripture tells us they were very dry, right? Like no vultures or buzzards picking anything clean. These are just dry and dusty bones that have been dead for a long time. That's important for a Jewish tradition that, that believes sometimes things can be only mostly dead, as we say from the Princess Bride, and sometimes things are really dead. That's why Jesus lays dead for three days, and on the third day he's raised from the dead because they knew that meant he was really dead and only God could resurrect him at that time. These bones are very dry. No sinew, no muscle, no flesh. They are as dead as they're ever going to get. And then God does something wild. God begins to put them back together. Did you catch the imagery there? It's kind of grotesque if you think about it too long, but these bones coming together with bones, and then sinews on top of the bones, and then the muscles and flesh on top of the sinews, and then the skin on top of that, and then lastly, the breath entering the dead body once again to breathe life. God is not simply bringing these bones back to life. God is undoing the sin and the death. It's a reversal of what has taken place. Did you catch that? That was a big aha for me this week. This is not bringing back to life. This is undoing sin and death. I say that to say this, church, there is a big difference between resuscitation and resurrection. Now, I wish I could take credit for that line because that's a good line. I heard that from a professor in seminary, and I don't think they came up with it either. So I don't know who to credit with it, but somebody needs to say amen wherever you're sitting at home. Write that down. There is a big difference between resuscitation and resurrection. Leave those words on the screen because resuscitation is hard to spell as I learned this week. I am guilty of asking for resuscitation from God all the time. I've been guilty of that in my life when I'm hitting a challenging time or even a rock bottom moment. God, would you return me back to life as I once knew it? Can you give me back the things or the relationships or the prosperity or the joy or the peace that I'm missing? Can you restore my life? Oh, by the way, without me having to take any personal moral account of how I might have helped bring myself to this place in the first place. God, can you resuscitate my life? I don't want resurrection. Can you simply bring me back to what I once knew? Now, friends, here's the good news. Resurrection is so much harder, but so much better in the end. It's when we come face to face with that addiction that has plagued us and ask God to help guide us through a path of recovery so that we can live truly sober and clean. It's when we finally kill our pride and admit our fault and seek true reconciliation with a family member or a friend. It's when we admit that we don't have it all together and find our way to the therapist's couch to begin the hard work of healing by addressing trauma or caring for our own mental health. It's saying slapping a Band-Aid on my life and my problems is not going to cut it anymore. I don't want resuscitation. I want resurrection. Ezekiel cannot duct tape together those dry bones and pretend that they're dancing. He needs the spirit of a living God to undo death, resurrect bodies and breathe a breath of life into the dry and dusty lungs of God's people. And so I hope that we're a praying people right now. 
I know I've been praying a lot about not only what I can do, but about what we can do. But I hope that our prayers are centered around resurrection and not resuscitation. I hope that we are praying knowing that resurrection will lead us into battlefields and to valleys of dry bones, knowing that the battle and the death of our sin is not the end of the story, but rather the beginning of the life that God is leading us to live. Ultimately, this passage that we've read this morning is a vision granted to Ezekiel from God, right? This is God's view of what could be. Where Ezekiel sees a valley of death and dry bones, God sees a valley of resurrection in the making. And maybe right now, you don't see the possibility of resurrection I don't know what crises you're facing, whether you're facing crises in your own personal life that none of us could ever understand, or whether you're looking at the crises facing our nation. Maybe you've quietly asked in your heart, how is this ever going to get better? How is this ever going to get better? I wonder what could happen if we begin to receive the eyes that God sees our world with. If we asked God to give us God's perspective, what could happen? Because once we see the possibility, we can also begin to see the role that we play in bringing that vision to life. So this week I heard Ezekiel's voice crying out to me, Scott, how is God calling you to bring resurrection to the battlefield? It's not enough to sit in the valley of dry bones and lament. How is God calling you to bring resurrection to the battlefield? Friends at home, on your couch, on your work break, wherever you are, how is God calling you to bring resurrection to the battlefield? Because while Ezekiel could share his prophecy as a hope of things that one day may come, my friends, we follow a Savior who proclaims loudly and boldly, I am the resurrection and the life here and now, this very day. How is Jesus leading you to be the resurrection work in the many battlefields that we are facing? We don't need to go back to the way things were, but it takes work to get to the, where, the way things need to be. We don't need to go back to the way things were, but it takes work to get to the way things need to be. This resurrection work begins in our own hearts. This whole time, if we've thought that we could make it through this season without having deep personal soul searching and simply pointing fingers at other people and other problems, we're gravely mistaken. This work begins in our own hearts through prayer, listening, learning, soul searching, conviction, confession, repentance, and continued commitment to the work of the kingdom of God and the worship of God. In these last three weeks, I've had to confront the real racism within my own heart and my own soul. I hope you've done the same. Because I still have prejudices, whether I like it or not. I still have ignorance. I'm learning new things every day. I still have sin that plagues me. And I'm comfortable enough to sit on camera and say, I'm still a racist. Not because I'm trying to be, but because it's a sin that plagues my heart as it plagues all of our hearts. Can we confess that so that we can move forward? Once that work is begun, once we've begun doing that hard, soul-searching work, then we can begin to ask God to set us to work outside of ourselves. 
Are yours the lungs that God's spirit could be speaking through? Are yours the hands that God's rebuilding could work through? Again, friends, I ask us this question. How is God calling you to bring resurrection to the battlefield? It begins in the quiet portions of our hearts. It ends in a resurrected world. The way things were was dry and dead and dusty. May Christ lead us to resurrection, life, and the glory of the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for this time in the midst of our busy weeks, whether we are worshiping live right now or whether we are watching this back later on in our week. We give you thanks for those moments to pause and to rest and reflect. God, would you convict our hearts and convict our spirits to no longer desire to simply go back to the way things were because we know the way things were wasn't righteous for every person and wasn't a proper worship of you. God, could you lead us into a valley of dry bones? Not simply to lament or be reminded of our own sin and death, but God, could you show us with your eyes the possibility of resurrection, your power and ability to bring bones together, to undo sin and death, and to bring glory and righteousness to this world for once and all. God, we're grateful for your son, Jesus the Christ, who leads us in this work. We ask that you'd keep us walking humbly in his presence. All this we pray in his name. Amen.